through the hearing of God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I want to invite you to follow along in, in a Bible if you've brought one with you today. And if not, the verses will be projected behind me or on the monitors here located at the pillars. James 3, verses 1 through 12. Let's read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let me try that again. There it is. Good morning, Good News Bible Church. Well, I know that we have just prayed, but could you... Do me the kind favor of bowing your heads in prayer once again as we ask our Lord for help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your church. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with us as we prepare to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would remove any distractions from the heat or from anything else, Lord, that may uh, keep us from hearing your word. God, I pray that we would be prepared to hear from you. Lord, would you guide my words? Help me, Lord, to speak uh, according to uh, the word that you have prepared for us, Lord. I pray that you would uh, allow us to hear specifically, Lord, from you as, as to how we might grow in maturity, Lord, as James has asked us to do, Lord. Be with us this morning. May I be your servant, Lord, in preparing your word. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. What are you afraid of? In October 2014, the National Public Radio asked its listeners via social media this very question. What are you afraid of? But they weren't interested in any fear the usual phobias most people list off, like the fear of heights or the fear of small spaces. 
They wanted to know about strange fears that others may not understand. Many of the responses they received were unusual. Several listeners were terrified of moths and butterflies and ran the other direction upon seeing them. Some were scared of cotton and glitter. One person responded that they were afraid of the bumps that grew on their old potatoes. One listener from Texas told the radio network that she was scared of the planet of Jupiter. Yes, despite the fact that Jupiter is several hundred million miles away, the very thought of the planet terrifies her. When asked to describe this fear of hers, she began to describe the size of the planet, and then she interrupted herself and said, the very thought of it, I I don't even want to talk about it. See, most of our fears are rational. They usually are anyway. Sometimes what makes us afraid is something that we perceive as some kind of danger to us. In the recent Pixar film, Inside Out, fear is one of the five emotions inside of the main character. And Bill Hader, the comedian who voices this character, said, Fear is about keeping you safe. It is healthy to be afraid because we are most naturally afraid of what is dangerous to us. In our passage this morning, the Apostle James presents us something that we ought to be afraid of. Something that should make us fearful because it is a great danger to us. Now this particular danger, like the ones listed by the listeners of NPR, is unusual. It doesn't commonly appear in the top five greatest fears we might list. But if James is to be believed, it probably should. According to our passage this morning, the most dangerous thing, the thing that we ought to fear, is the tongue. We might think that the tongue is about as much a danger to us as the planet Jupiter. And yet James is convinced otherwise, that throughout our passage this morning, uh, he presents a case for us that the most dangerous thing is the tongue that device responsible for the words you and I say. Whether we'd like to be concerned with it or not, our speech is of great importance. So would you turn with me this morning to the letter of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you have it with if you have it in front of you, please follow along as I read these words. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whichever, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James begins his case by saying that not many should be teachers because those who teach will be judged more strictly for what they say. What one says must be compatible with how one lives, and those of us who are teachers will be judged according to this standard. That's what it says in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James begins with this warning, saying, if you desire to be a teacher, maybe you should think otherwise. Why? Because teachers are held to this higher standard. More precisely, they are judged by God for what they say and whether what they say matches with how they live. You know, it seems a bit odd that James begins his passage here. It almost feels as if he has run off the trail and has started his, his, his exposition on the tongue with something that has nothing to do with speech. Why would James begin chapter 3 with a warning discouraging teachers? Well, James has been concerned throughout this whole letter with life that is consistent with faith. There are certain behaviors, certain practices that one would expect from those who profess to believe in God. You know, if I invited you over for breakfast and I served you bacon, you would expect that certain characteristics would be true of the bacon. You would expect a certain aroma. You would expect a certain delicious saltiness that would come in your mouth as soon as you took the first bite. But if when I invited you over for this breakfast, you tasted none of this saltiness, you didn't smell this aroma, you may have the suspicion that I've served you something far more sinister, like turkey bacon. (laughs) Something fake, something that isn't the real thing. And so just as you would expect certain characteristics, certain qualities from real bacon, James says there are certain characteristics, certain qualities, that must be true of the one who professes to know and love God. If there aren't these characteristics, well, then maybe it's not the real thing. Maybe you are not what you profess to be. And so James begins his, his, his concern about the tongue by continuing his concern 
for consistent living. People of faith behave in in such a way that is faithful to the God they believe in. And nowhere else is this most clear than in the life of a teacher. You see, teachers have been commissioned by God for a particular kind of service. That is, we are called to instruct the church in the way of the Lord. Now, if there isn't consistency between what we teach and how we live, then there is a serious problem. Those of us who teach the word of God will be judged by a higher standard. But by whom will we be judged? See, there's the secret amongst us teachers that there is a fear inside of us that we will be judged by our peers, by those of us who are listening to the things that we say. We worry about how we will be received. We worry about uh, whether we will be interesting enough. But James says that's not what you should fear most. What you should be most worried about is the living God who will judge you according to this higher standard. God himself will hold us accountable for the words that we speak. So who are we talking about? Who among us must hear and consider these words? Well, all of us. Let me explain what I mean. First of all, James has in mind those of us who have been appointed to specific roles in the church. In our church, that means that those of us who have been appointed as teachers, elders, pastors, preachers, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, anyone who has been entrusted with a position over individuals with the responsibility to instruct them in the word of God. You are being instructed here and are being reminded of the reality of your responsibility. Let me say something specific to those of us who hold those roles. You and I have been given an incredible responsibility. You and I are not curators of art walking through museums, pointing out things that happened long ago. You and I ourselves are the art. We are visual representations of service to God. We are to be witnesses to what God is doing in our lives and how we love and honor God. It's a great responsibility. But at least some of us in the room think that this responsibility only belongs to teachers. James is quick to expand it. You see, he says, for we all are quick to sin. We stumble in many ways, he says, beginning in verse 2. See, he is inviting further reflection from the whole body. He says that the teachers will be held to a much higher standard. We will be held accountable, but at the same time, by implication, all of us will be held accountable for whether our life and actions match. It is true, teachers will be held to a higher standard. We will be held more accountable. But you also, those of you who are not in positions of leadership, will be held accountable for whether or not your life and speech correspond to what you believe about God. Now, what's the problem? What causes us to live in such a way where there is no compatibility between our speech and our lives? Well, something is true of both teachers and all of us who are in this room, and that is that often 
We fall out of, uh, out of systems of accountability and repentance. We profess to, to know God, to love God, but we often find ourselves without the means to repent for our sins and without the means to mutually encourage one another to grow in spiritual godliness. You know, our leaders, our elders, and our pastors believe that this is the heartbeat of our church. That if we are not a church that is being discipled, if we are not a church that is mutually living life together so that we are holding one another accountable, then we are not fulfilling our responsibilities as a church. So one of the things that you will hear from the pulpit in our small groups over the next several weeks is this desire to have every one of us discipled in meaningful ways where we can be held accountable, where we can be growing and reading the scriptures together. So much is this, uh, so much is this a priority that our leaders have, have engaged with the organization that puts together these life transformation groups. Some of you have heard of these. Some of you have, who have been in the men's ministry and other ministries have heard of, these, uh, of this model. But this model is so that we can have mutual accountability and that we can have a way to grow together in the Word of God. And we will be talking more about these and providing this resource to you so that we can be in relationships of mutual accountability, growing in spiritual godliness. And I want you to ask yourselves some questions. What systems do I have in place? What brothers or sisters in Christ do I know that are holding me accountable today? Do I have someone who is able to, uh, to, to speak honestly into my life and to say to me, you, uh, you, you should be growing in the Lord? Am I encouraging anyone to, 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 to be accountable for what my life and speech, for whether my life and speech are adding up, if they are matching together? If you have difficulty answering that question, you are not alone. This is a great need in our church. We have to hold one another accountable, encourage one another to grow spiritually. If you can't think of anyone, I pray that you would begin now to think of certain individuals in this church, in this community, who you can mutually encourage, who you can have uh, trust with to ask you deep questions, to ask you honest questions, so that you can grow spiritually as the Lord has called us to grow. Now, James continues in this passage by talking more about this reality that the words that we say matter. There is significance there. See, though it is a small thing, the tongue has great influence and power. Look with me at verses 2 through 5. He says, for, if we stumble in, for, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James is answering this question, moving from teachers and all of us to say, the tongue has great power for influence. 
He says, in fact, if you show me a person who is able to control his, his or her tongue, I will show you a person who has control in all areas of his or her life. Because it begins with the tongue. And many of us might say, well, the tongue is so insignificant. The things that I say, they don't really matter all that much. And James says, well, that's not the case. He says, look at the horse. The horse is a strong, powerful animal, yet you and I are able to control the horse by putting a small object into its mouth. And by turning the bit with, with, with uh, the things that are attached to this bit, we are able to tell the horse to go right or to go left, to tell it to stop. Something so small put into the mouth of a horse is able to control this strong and large animal. We'll take the ships, for example. Another large and powerful vessel. Here you have a boat, and it is controlled by a very small thing, the rudder. Even though there are strong winds that come against this great boat, the rudder turns at the bottom of the boat and determines the direction that the boat will go. You see, there are small things that determine and influence the direction of these great bodies. In the same way, the tongue, though it is small, has the potential to influence us greatly. And we know that's true from our own experience. If you look at many great political speeches, words that are said by great men and women, they have the power to move people, to move organizations. If you look at our homes and our personal lives, we know that Words have the power to, to, to move us, to encourage us, to bring peace. A wise man once wrote in our Proverbs, a gentle word turns away wrath. How many of us have experienced when there is strife in our homes, when there is fighting between a husband and a wife or between a mother and son or a mother and daughter, that a kind word will turn the tide and direct the relationship in the household in a completely different direction. James says there is great power in the tongue, in the words that we use for one another. But there is something sinister about the tongue. There is something dangerous because while the tongue has great power, this power can lead to destruction. The tongue is a dangerous thing. It is a powerful thing, yes, but it often leads us to destruction. Look at verses uh, 5 again, down to verse 8. How great a fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James says that the tongue is a fire. It is this dangerous, destructive thing that can, send, that can swallow up all of life. He says, imagine a great forest. How many of us have heard 
news articles about California's forests or forests in Colorado where they have all been set ablaze by a small fire, a cigarette bud that was not put out. Or even how many of us here in Chicago have heard story after story of homes burned down to the ground by a small fire. Just a couple of weeks ago in the news, there was an article about a fire that took the life of a 24-year-old and critically injured three others in Little Village. And after there was an investigation, do you know what started this horrible fire? It was a small candle that remained burning. This small flicker was able to cause such destruction. James says the tongue is a fire. Yes, it is small. Yes, we may think our words are insignificant, yet there is danger to our words. And it leads us to destruction. It leads us to a world of unrighteousness. It, it stains all of the body. Now, earlier in chapter 1, James says that pure and undefiled religion is this, uh, to look after the orphans and widows and to remain unstained by the world. Yet James says, an uncontrolled tongue stains all of the body. If you say, well, my life is okay, I'm able to control everything else, I, I enjoy sexual purity, I, I am, uh, I, I, I'm faithful with, with the things that God has given me, and yet my tongue, well, I don't have much control over that. James says that's enough to pollute the whole body. And it's able to, to, to swallow up the entire course of life. And send it straight to hell. See, the tongue, the words that we use are dangerous. And not only that, but the, the tongue is a wild animal. Nobody can tame it, he says. He says, look out into the animal kingdom. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the animals in the sea. Look at the animals in the land. We have been able to tame all of these animals, to control them and use them for our benefit. But there is one wild animal that we have yet to be able to tame, and that is the tongue. My brother works with an organization that works in pharmaceuticals. They sell many products, and one of these products is uh, our pharmaceuticals, vitamins and medicines. And he went on a trip recently to one of the farms where they grow some of this produce that is necessary for this. And he took a picture where there was a trainer who had a falcon on his arm. And uh, what's interesting is that my brother doesn't really like a whole lot of animals. So I was surprised to see him in front of this, this falcon because you could see that even though it was trained, even though it was on the arm of this person, its talons were sharp, its, 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 uh, its beak was very sharp. And yet we as human beings are able to tame such a fierce animal, to use it for our purposes so that it can be used to ensure that the produce... The vitamins that are, the, the, the resource that is needed for these vitamins is safe from any critters. The falcon is tamed. Even the elephant, this great massive animal is tamed so that all of us have seen pictures. Maybe even some of us have ridden on these elephants. You say, how in the world have we been able to tame these things? James says, we've done incredible things with God's nature. We have, we have subdued the earth. 
there is one thing we have yet to subdue, and that is the tongue. The elephant, the falcon, the, the, the serpent, all of those things are nothing compared to this wild animal that is uncontrollable. It is a restless evil. It is waiting to, to attack someone. It is full of poison, ready to snap and bite and bring destruction to all those around us. And James finally laments and says, No one, no human being is able to tame the tongue. Can't control it. It lashes out and it attempts to swallow up all of our lives. And then he says, Listen, you want evidence that the tongue is a wild, uncontrollable thing. Just look at the way you use your tongue. It says, with our tongue we bless God one moment, and in the next we curse his very creation. You want proof that the tongue is a wicked, dangerous thing. He says, look at the hypocrisy of our speech. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James says, look at the way we use our tongues. On Sunday morning, we're singing praises to God. We're honoring God with everything that we say. We are listening to the Word of God. And Monday afternoon, we are quick to snap at someone. We're quick to insult someone. We're quick to gossip about someone. How could we say that we are blessing God and then turn around and curse His very creation? So there's an important point here that he's making. He says, you were uh, those who were made in the very likeness, the very image of God. It is senseless. It doesn't fit the right pattern to say, I am blessing God, I am honoring God, and then to turn around and curse those who have been made in the image of God. What James is saying here is that to curse those who have been made in the image of God is to curse God himself. To malign someone, to insult someone, is to insult and malign God himself. And James says, show me anywhere in nature where this duplicity exists. Show me anywhere in nature where this inconsistency happens. Tell me about a pond or a fresh spr or a spring water. That from the same opening comes both salt and fresh water. That could never happen. Because if it is a fresh spring, as soon as there is salt water that is coming out, the rest of the fresh water is ruined. It's spoiled. So let's look at agriculture. Tell me of any fig tree that produces olives. Or tell me of a grapevine that produces figs. See, these are all 
agricultural metaphor from the Mediterranean, but let's take our own North American context. Tell me of an apple tree that produces uh, watermelon. Tell me of a, uh, of, of, a, of a tomato patch that produces lemons. It doesn't make any sense. It says, tell me then of a person who produces blessing and then cursing. It doesn't make any sense. Place says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You see, if we are people who bless God, it is not fitting for us to be people who shout curses at one another, who speak ill of one another, who, 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 who malign one another, who insult one another, who speak behind each other's backs, gossiping just doesn't make any sense. So what are we supposed to do? What is James's purpose in telling us that the tongue is a dangerous, vile thing that is uncontrollable? We know that James lamented, no one can control the tongue. James, it seems, has left us without any hope. If you want to teach, don't. The tongue is a vile thing. It cannot be controlled. You yourselves prove it with your double talk and hypocrisy. No human can tame the tongue. So what are we supposed to do? Is James asking us to collapse in defeat according to our fate as duplicitous speakers? No, that's not James's intent at all. James intends for us to be confronted with the seriousness of our speech. The speech of faithful people matters. What we say if we profess to know and love God is important. We ought to pay serious attention to the things that we say and even the way that we say these things. It is not acceptable for any of us to say, well, that's just my personality. I'm just a little bit harsh. No matter what we say, no matter, how, uh, no matter what we have to say, we must make sure that it aligns with what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, and what we believe about our community. See, our tongues can be used as deadly weapons. They can destroy us. According to James, show me a person who cannot control his tongue, and I'll show you someone who has little control over everything else in his or her life. The tongue can destroy relationships. It can destroy our families. It can destroy our church. And it even can destroy ourselves. You know, when we were children, most of us heard the lie and even repeated the lie, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it's a lie. Physical wounds eventually heal, but wounds caused by a harsh word can disable us forever. See, the problem with hurtful talk is that it is unfitting for people of faith. James says, faith without works is dead. And we heard last week that part of this is to care for those who are, who are hurting, though, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, those who are poor, we must care for their needs. But James also says that faith without works means 
that we must be people whose words are compatible with what we believe. We ought to control our tongues, using it to bless rather than curse. So what does controlled speech sound like? It is encouragement. It is correction, yes, but correction with humility and love. James says, my brothers, this ought not to be. He is saying this with a deep love for the people that he is addressing. Sometimes we are so caught up in the need to correct others that we do not say these things. We do not correct in love and humility, but we must be loving one another in our correction. Is that a battery? We'll see how it goes. All right. We must be correcting one another. We must be slow to speak, as he says earlier in the letter. There are times in our church or in our homes when we desire uh, to, to, to say things, to correct one another, but we must do it measuring our words carefully because our words matter. But still, James has presented a serious problem for us. He says, no human can tame the tongue. So as much as we desire to measure our words carefully, how can we control this untamable animal? There it is. How can we... Oh, no. If I hold on to it, will that help? We'll see. We're almost done. How can we tame this untamable animal? Well, James has presented the answer for us throughout his letter. He says, if any of you is lacking wisdom, he must ask God. If any of you is in need of help, he must ask the one who provides every good and perfect gift. No one can tame the tongue except God. You and I may never reach perfection this side of glory, but by God's grace, we are able to receive from God the strength and wisdom to live according to his way. Those of us of faith ask in faith for the wisdom to control our speech, to use it for God's glory. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who have faith control it with the help of God. Those who don't are destroyed by it. Let's pray.